Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, är så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keaton Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's going to pull a Jonathan Quick today and let someone else take over the job. I'm your host, Dylan Dabrowski, and today we have a very special show for you because we have two special guests, I suppose. First of all, Ben Burnett from Short Shifts decided to take over interviewing duties today for the next installment of our 32 Beats interview series, and he talked to Lisa Dillman from The Athletic all about the LA Kings. It's a really great interview. I just listened to it, and they covered a lot of ground talking through the Kings veterans, the Kings prospects, and everyone in between. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, and we'll get to that in just a sec. I'm just going to mention first that Keevan Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, your number one source for all fantasy hockey analysis and tools. It's really just a fantastic website. We're lucky to have it. So if you're not using Dauber Hockey as the fantasy hockey season approaches, I think you might be missing out. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. But with that... I'm going to pass over my hosting duties to your friend and mine, Ben Burnett, as he's going to interview Lisa Dillman from The Athletic all about the LA Kings. Enjoy. Well, I am joined today by Lisa Dillman, senior writer at The Athletic and beat writer for The LA Kings. Lisa, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing just great. And not just because I'm starting vacation tomorrow, but I am, I am quite happy. That's good. That's good to hear. I'm very jealous of you. And I'm also looking forward to you getting back to work. I'm sorry to say, because I'm looking forward to the season starting again. Not it's nothing personal. I just I'm looking I'm already excited for for fantasy draft season and training camps and following the tweets. I'm I'm itching to get back into it, although I'm sure based on what you've just told me, you are not itching to get back into it at this time. Yeah, well, I, I guess I just need a little bit of R&R. It's pretty much been steady, nonstop hockey, you know, close to two years, you know, yeah, I've had a week here or a few days here and there, but we've been, you know, because the way the schedule's played out, we've had been, we've been going, going, going. And it's so funny when I, when I make references to the entry draft of of last year, oh yeah, that was October, you know, here we are at it. And and I'm talking to scouts that are already hitting the road, getting ready, you know, for, for next, next, you know, the next one and, and next season going forward. And, um, and even today, we're looking to making uh, reservations for the, the rookie tournament that's going to be held in Arizona. So it, it's like you, you kind of it's like a treadmill. It just keeps going, going, going. And I'm I'm just hoping not to get off the treadmill, but just maybe go a little bit slower for a few weeks. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's kind of a weird thing of um, of this. Past, like you mentioned, the the weird compact double season with the bubble and then into the short season. I'm looking forward, and I've been saying this for a while, looking forward to having a regular, regular season just for my brain, not having to be like last fall. I mean, last January when the season's, you know, just let's get back to normal in that sense. Yeah, I, I really hope we can do that because it's it's really challenging, I think, for somebody that's sort of like myself or I think one of my strengths is relationships and and and. And just doing the interviews face to face, I really miss that that contact. And and I'm, I was just actually addressing this in a mailbag I'm writing later this week. Um, somebody asked me what I miss the most, and it's that 
casual running into an agent in the hallway and you, you find out what's going on or you just kind of catch up on each other's lives. Um, you know, just talking to a player, sitting down with them one-on-one and you just, you don't realize how much you miss something till it is taken away from you. Absolutely. And it, it's been a, it's been a crazy year in that sense, but we are uh, somewhat getting back to normal. And so I want to start by talking about the most recent big news with the LA Kings. And I, I guess that's kind of their big splash this offseason, locking down at free agent center and defensive specialist Philip Deneau. It's a pretty big contract for a player who's never topped a 55-point pace in a season. And of course, for our purposes, we're most interested in uh, in offensive stats. But even in a bit of a headlining role over the uh, the Habs playoff run, he put up just four points in 22 games. What do you think he'll, his role will be with the Kings next year? Well, if you're talking to me about fantasy considerations, <laughs> I think I think you know the answer there. Um, but in a in a broader sense, you know, I think it's like anybody who goes shopping, they have a list of what they need to get done, and the second line center hole was a big gaping hole for the Kings. And that really takes care of a lot of problems on multiple levels. It, it allows, you know, Andre Kopitar not to have to take every D zone face off in the entire season. Um, it, it just gives him, they can maybe cut his minutes down a little bit. Um, and then it, it impacts the lower part of the lineup because if all goes well, if Quentin Byfield has a, has a, a decent training camp, like I'm expecting him to have, this will sort of shield him a little bit. Um, and per- give him protected minutes. And I, I think it's going to have a very strong impact throughout the lineup. And um, I talked to I talked to two of his former teammates, Tyler Tufoli, obviously, most recently, um, and then Nate Thompson, who played with him a couple of years ago. And they said, this is a guy who's going to come in and he's going to seamlessly fit into the room. There won't be any problem on that whatsoever. You know, and of course, the numbers caught people's eye the, the, the money they're paying out for six years the commitment but I think we all know that free agency everybody overpays it's just sort of the fact of life I think a lot of people thought that wasn't going to happen because of the flat cap but you know the GMs were like uh, a bunch of people that were led into like a store with a like a you know 50% off sale they weren't pushing in but of course there was no sale the prices are, were quite high but the activity was astounding. It is a bit like a, and I feel like this has tapered off a bit in recent years, but there is a bit of a Black Friday element to it where uh, you know that if you're, if you're depending on free agency, you're likely going to end up overpaying unless you're buying at the top of the market or at the bottom. Exactly. And I was looking at the list and I thought, I wasn't sure what they were going to do. They they had certainly targeted him um, and and Alex Edler on the the back end. They sort of had their list of people they were going to go after, but I'd put together a, a, a list of maybe lower budget options that they could perhaps pursue because um, I, I thought they would end up being a little more conservative than they ended up being. Um, you know, I thought, could they go after Nick Ritchie? Could they, you know, make a small gamble on Andre Cache? Um, you know, so I was curious to see, and then I was fascinated that those two both went to the Maple Leafs um, or Tom, you know, like I, I thought they might tar- target Tatar. So but they seem to really sort of know where the holes were. And I, I know you didn't really ask me about Edler, but I think that's a real key pickup too. I am very um, you know, bullish on that pickup. I think he's going to help. I mean, this is a team that's, this is like, I'm joking with my Swedish colleagues. We should call these guys team Sweden. And they've just got a ton of Swedes starting from, 
you know, Adrian Kempe to, you know, Toby Bjornfoot, who was a rookie last year. And uh, so I think he he's going to help all those young Swedes and the Swedes that are already there. I think, uh, yeah, I think you definitely hit on it with uh, they're they're looking at the needs that are there, because if you if you kind of see what they what they have and they don't have in in L.A., the, the big thing that they did not have was was that sort of depth in the middle. Um, they kind of have a few players who can play on the wings with Kopitar and on a second or third line middle top nine role. Um, but I think what what we're kind of getting at with some of these moves in in terms of a fantasy perspective is that there, it sounds like there could be a little bit more stability in front of the goaltending. And so I, I do want to transition to Nets, jump jump backwards on the ice. And, uh, you know, last year's the first time in a long time that Quick doesn't get the lion's share of the starts. And instead, Cal Peterson takes the reins and looks really decent doing it, putting up a 9-11 save percentage, at least giving the impression that he could be the long-term option that the Kings are likely hoping he can be. Do you expect to see Peterson lead the Kings in starts again next year? Yeah, I, I do. That's a question that has come up quite often. And I'm thinking if all goes well, if everybody, if both remain healthy, I was actually just writing this in the mailbag. I, I think it may be 50-32 split, something along those lines. Um, you know, they've, they've put a lot of faith into Cal Peterson. He's really been anointed as the heir apparent, to use a cliche, because that they, you know, that that's what enabled them to make the Jack Campbell trade. So they've sort of have, you know, they haven't quite thrown the keys to the car to him yet, but the transition is in full full swing with him. And yeah, I mean, you look at the number a number like nine eleven save percentage, and it, it doesn't it doesn't grab you as like a Chris Drieger number, or, you know, some of the other uh, players who have recently ascended to top role, but. On a team like the Kings, who have struggled to to have uh, struggled in the past couple of years to live up to their former defensive reputation, I think that he that's a pretty respectable number. I, I'm guessing that you saw something similar watching them a lot last year. I, I think it was a respectable number because these aren't these aren't the Los Angeles Kings of old that were you know a tight defensive unit under under Daryl Sutter, and then when John Stevens was the assistant coach in charge of defense, and then when he was head coach. So it's it's a it's a, you know, a different team. And we're looking at like a, a real young defense in front of him. And, um, you know, like one of the real revelations this past year was Mikey Anderson, you know, playing, playing solid, you know, first pair minutes with Drew, um, you know, at times looked a little bit overwhelmed, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> I can think of some games against the avalanche, but huh, obviously he would he'd have plenty of company, but back to your point about Peterson, um, you know, this is this is the thing that impresses me about him is, and I noticed this when he was in Ontario that he could face a massive amount of shots and, and and you know and have outings that really did not look good when you just looked at the pure numbers, but he had the ability to like really really bounce back and I, I thought he was a, a pretty mentally strong individual. Now I, I didn't quite have that feeling last year, but. I think with, with COVID and what everybody went through, I sort of, I wouldn't say give people a pass, but I really do factor a lot of that into considering how um, people should be evaluated. Like a lot of folks were kind of critical about um, folks that, you know, tailed after the end of the season, but, you know, they had uh, Athanasiu, Lazat, and I think Matt, I think at least two players I'm thinking of on the top of my head had COVID-19 and were out for at least a few weeks and then some other close calls and contact scares. So I'm just sort of babbling about this, but um, 
I think you have to really sort of factor that into the evaluation of all these players, especially, you know, the goaltender where the, the glare is on him more than anybody else. Yeah. And I think it, we've also seen with sort of erratic goaltending performances around the league throughout the past couple of years, you don't really have those year in, year out, 60 game starter guys like Quick used to be. Of course, the uh, the mental toll can be, I think, uh, especially impacted at that position. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's uh, let's hop over to the Kings, you know, jumping from from Jonathan Quick, a former face of the franchise, though, obviously still very involved. There are two other faces that kind of remain from that recent glory day with Kopitar and Dowdy. Uh, Kopitar has kind of been the face of consistency for L.A. Um, the past couple of years. But Dowdy, if you look at the full season stats last year, seems to have continued his trend over three years. He's fallen between 40 and 50 points each of the last three seasons. But when you dig into those numbers a little bit more, you see that it was much more erratic of a season. He started the year with 31 points in the first 38 games, an unbelievable pace. He was among the he was he was getting Norris consideration again. It was, you know, re-anointed. But then he really fell off the map. He had just three points in his last 18 games. Who do you think is the real Drew Doughty that we're going to see next year? Well, that, that's a really good question. And, and, and it's one that is legitimate. Um I think with Drew, you know, he's an emotional guy, wears his heart in his sleeve. And, and for our purposes, he's a fantastic quote. I think it's going to be more of, of the dowdy of, of the first half, or at least till he really fell off. In fact, I thought I thought a lot of individuals fell off after the Jeff Carter trade. Now, their record didn't necessarily indicate that. And I wasn't in the room to see their body language, but you could kind of see some of the air go out of a lot of the people that had really thought the rebuild was over. And they thought, well, wait a minute, we're, tr- we're trading a- another piece. Like, what's up with this? So uh, it's, it's a long way of saying I, I, I think he will be he put the pressure on them. Uh, he did an Anja Kopitar put the pressure on management saying, you know, we need to, to make continue to make meaningful changes. We've traded off all these players all these legitimate NHL players have gone out the door without an, an NHL player coming back in. Yes, they're getting plenty of future capital, draft picks, et cetera. But like, you know, let's let's get somebody back in here, they were saying. So they put actual public pressure on the management team to make some moves, which which they did, the ones we, we've discussed. And I don't think we've talked too much about Victor Arvidsson. That's, that's potentially another, you know, uh, move that could, that could pay off, certainly. And I think... Those three moves in less than a month, I think, will um, kind of answer some of the questions that Dowdy and some of the concerns Dowdy and, and Kopitar put out there. So I think he's a confident player. I think he's excited about some of the youth coming through. Um, and he's really, you know, he's a very good mentor to the younger defensemen. So I think his mental frame of mind is, is going to translate to positive play on the ice. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, to your earlier point, it sounds like that that would be a big reason for why they would want to bring in a guy like Deneau, um, a guy who and, and sign him to a contract that goes to show like we're we're buckling down and we're ready to turn a corner. And I think that they're in we're going to talk about uh, some of the rookies here a little bit more soon, but. It, it's definitely something that uh, you can see where the, the pieces are in place to turn that corner. Yeah, and they're they're kind of situated nicely because. If you look at the division, I, I think I, if you're searching for silver, silver linings, this is probably the weakest division. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've got Vegas above everybody else, but you know, a bunch of question marks below that. You know, Edmonton's looking better. Good summer offseason moves, but 
there's a whole lot of, I mean, when you look at the three California teams used to be at the top of the, the division and, um, and I, I don't see the sharks. I think the sharks have, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a very polite way to put it, but I, I can't see a lot of reasons to get excited about the sharks. Um, we'll say there's blood in the water, maybe. <laughs> and, the, and the ducks certainly. Like I kept thinking the ducks. When Bob Murray has a history of making bold moves, and mm-hmm. uh, kept waiting for something to happen, and thinking, are, are, they, are they not doing anything? So, uh, so let's let's say that there's a lot. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about being in that division, and and. Uh, I think it's 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 a blessing in disguise. Now you're not going to change your your plan, like the, the rebuild, based on what other teams in the division are doing. But you can certainly give your fans a, a lot more to latch onto in terms of competitiveness. Yeah, and I think that that's a point that's been made a lot about Seattle coming out of the expansion draft. That you know, it's not a it's not a roster that wowed too many people. But when you look at the Pacific, it's like, okay, I can see how they could be uh, competitive. And I think there's something to be said about icing a lineup that it's not going to blow your socks off when you look from top to bottom, but the Kings could absolutely make a jump just based on that divisional makeup. Yeah. And I would like, I know we're going to talk about the prospects in a second and I think go for it. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's so many of them. I've really had my hands full the last few days. I'm I'm doing what the roster projection might look like this coming season. And then what it would look like in three years, which is really challenging. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know, we've got this blooded center. So like, okay, I'm putting like Alex Turcotte on the wing and, you know, players that, that, before, if you said, oh, where are they going to end up? And I thought for sure he'd be in the mix for center ice. But now, you know, Deneau changes things and b- bounces people down a little bit, too. So they've got a, a wealth of prospects. You know, like some are going to surprise us. You know, so there's going to be somebody that we don't expect much out of that comes out and wows us. And then there's going to be, you know, it's just life. You know, not everybody's going to succeed. Some of these guys will get moved for other pieces down the line. But uh, I'm I'm really curious to see how uh, Quentin Byfield looks. You know, he can play in Ontario because of the exemption. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea for his development for the larger picture. I mean, he was there for 32 games last season and, and, and you know, really tre- was trending well near the end and I, I think improved quite a bit. But I think for his um, long-term success, I, I think it would be beneficial for him to be in Los Angeles and around Kopitar and Deneau for a full season learning from these guys as much as he possibly can. I think as long as he plays more than he was able to last year, it, it should be a, a big boon to to some of these younger guys. Cause that's, that's the toughest part about having a team that's, that's built around prospects last year and a half is that a lot of them just couldn't get on the ice. Yeah. And then like, yeah, you, you, you know, you, once again, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. You need, you need the ice time. You need to you know, prove yourself. So it's, it's uh I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how how they handle it and who goes where. Um, but it's it probably it's a, not a bad problem to have. That's for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of teams would be happy to have the uh, the Kings prospect problem. And so let's jump let's jump over there for just a minute. And I, I guess that my um, for my purposes, I'm very curious, kind of how you see it playing out. Obviously, it's it's really difficult to project three years down the road, but it is kind of difficult to look at this lineup, the forward group uh, this year and say for sure. All right. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, I, w- I would guess Kopitar, Deneau, um, and then and then maybe Byfield in the middle if they wanted to give him that chance. But I mean, how do you kind of see that top six shaking out? Who do you think gets those opportunities? 
I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking the beauty of Arvidsson is he can play both sides. I see him on the, the wing with Kopitar for sure. Um, I think the lineup I did the other day, I had Kempe in there. Um, you know, fans were saying, well, what about Ayafalo? But I, I like Kempe's speed and his skill to sort of uh, complement that line. And I was joking, it'd be, um, you know, it's two thirds of a Swedish line. And Kopitar played played in Sweden before the NHL and uh, during a lockup. So he's an honorary Swede. <laughs> so there's something something to riff off there. So, you know, I like that a lot. Um, I think perhaps Ayafalo would work nicely with um, Dano. Um on the other side, you know, well, Kopitar and Brown have played together for so long and everybody always talks about breaking them up and they inevitably end up back together again. Um, but I think finally he will be better served by being maybe dropped down to like the third line. You know, he'll still be on the power first unit power play, you know, score his goals up in front like he's so good at. They'll give him that net front presence. Um, but like Ardison, like I said, he changes everything there's more variety there. They they have many, many more options than they, they did last year. Like last year, I just half the time you'd say, Oh my God, what is the second line? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it does give those guys, it does give Kempe and I they got a lot of opportunities over the last couple of years that, that was good to see, but I'm surprised to hear you say that I would be the, the, the player that's pushed down because I mean, he was, uh, to me, it seemed like he had sort of surpassed Kempe in terms of uh, opportunity, just based on his staying up with Kopitar and Brown last year. Well, and, they, and, and you know, and then I think there is something to that management gave him a four-year contract. So there is a lot of faith in this guy. Um, and it's not like an indictment of him being, having him knocked down to the second line necessarily. It's just like maybe it may be a better asset mix uh, on that line. Um to see what Kempe could do with those two. And, and like, this isn't chiseled in stone and, and they may not mm-hmm. even do it. Maybe I follow, you know, when you and I talk again, he'll be right there, you know, right there on the top line. So they do think quite highly of him, you know, externally and internally. And like that, like I said, giving him a four-year contract is proof of that. For sure. And I mean, yes, we are definitely here at the, uh, or in early August. It's, it's tough to say where we're not going to hold you to the, uh, the opening night lineup, <laughs> anything like that, but I, I, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I do, but obviously you're the expert. And so I, I'm just curious to see how, how you think it'll shake out. I, I do want to hear that prediction. So you're saying, I guess, Kopitar is going to be playing with, with Arvidsson and uh Kempe and then I yeah. guess I have follow with Deneau and who 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 do you think rounds out well, that second line I I kind of and I, I don't think a lot of the, the fan base necessarily agreed on this I thought Athanasio would be good in that line because he can really with, with if he's with the, my this is my reasoning if he's with I follow and Deneau they're so defensively responsible they can afford to have somebody like AA who's you know Let's be nice here, but not, not, and that, you know, has his deficiencies. He's not, we can yeah. also say he's <laughs> not. He's going to be succinct and failing. Um, <laughs> so I think by having you know, those two with him, McClellan doesn't have to be as necessarily as concerned, you know, and, and then he can use his, you know, breakout speed and, and get behind the defense and then be, you know, be this every once in a while, he'll, he'll play a couple few games and you're thinking, my God. And then he, he, he goes away for five games. So I, I'll be curious to see how he, he does over a full, full season. And he is one of those players too, that had COVID. And um, I don't think it was quite the same after he, he came back Signed him to a, you know, one new deal. So we'll, we'll see what he can do. But I, I kind of like 
like that mix there with those two players. So do you see either Byfield or Turcotte or both on the ice uh, to start the season? I think Turcotte will start the season in Ontario. That's my, um, I wouldn't call it a bold prediction, but I think he needs to, I think he needs to start there. I think he needs to play a ton. He was another guy, you know, he was injured at the end of the world championship. So the injury carried over to when he finally arrived in LA and he, he never really seemed like he truly got going until closer to the end of the season. Um, but I think, I think um, Ontario is probably the nice starting point for him. And then that way you can play like a Blake Lazat, who's this, you know, energizer bunny and, the coaches home like he's like a mosquito in a tent whatever that means but it sounds funny (laughs) sounds horrible (laughs) Um, yeah i know it's like you know and here i am in cottage country and fending off bugs but um (laughs) but you can put lazat in the fourth spot or or jared anderson dolan you could Mm. you could fully do that i also think trevor moore could be a possibility in the middle because he was so good there for the u.s at the world championships and coaches really, really like what they saw from him. So they have like a lot of um, veteran options for that, that fourth spot there. Um, I'm a Rangers fan. So I would be remiss not to ask about Leah Anderson. Do you see him making the lineup? Boy, that's a really good question. Um, I think he'll be an extra. I think he'll be in and out. And then, mm. and I, I, I would like to see him play a lot more than he did. I, I kept thinking that he, he would, I would have seen much more of him and I could never really figure out why it felt like a situation where they, Hey, you know, experiment and see what this guy can do. And there didn't mm-hmm. seem to be enough of that. So I would like, I'm like you, I actually, I, I would like to see him a lot more and uh, whether that will happen. You know, who knows? Uh, I did want to jump back to talk a little bit more about the power play. And I I think that that's a a really interesting discussion. Uh, We talked about Dowdy, a guy who had ridiculous splits from the first two thirds of the season to the last. And a lot of that was in power play production, you know, joining Dowdy and Kopitar, they had Brown, Kempe and Ayafalo. I think that it sounds like you think Arvidsson might, might fit in there on the top unit. Uh, Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but, um, and Brown as well. Who do you see as the fifth there? Yeah, that is a good question. And I think I think because of his puck retrieval skills, I think Ayafalo um, would, would fit in there nicely. Um, I think there's a continuity. Um, they know what they're getting in him. He knows he's one of those players. I think the other thing I haven't really mentioned, he he makes his, he makes others around him look good. And he, he has that unselfish thing going. And I think his skill set fits quite well with those others. I can tell that I have a broken brain because when you said that I was in my head, I instantly was like, all right, we're calling the episode. I have follow the leader because now it's just, it, it works. It, it fits with the content. Um, he's an incredibly well, good guy too. He's just like a good team guy. I mean, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sort of wandering off here, but uh, do you remember that hilarious video at the start of the pandemic where he sent like a, a drone over to Jeff Carter's house delivering <laughs> the toilet paper? He's just like kind of a quirky guy, you know, but they, he's a guy his teammates just love. And, uh, and, he, and he's one of those players too, that every time, you know, you, you sort of like, I, people take him off the first line, they demote him and he's always right back there. So mm. I think he's you know, kind of made a career of sort of um, proving everybody wrong for lack of a better phrase. And do you think he has a bit more of an offensive upside than the sort of 45 45- you know, it seems like maybe he he hasn't really hit another gear there to to make him a, a first line producer. Do you think he could be that guy? 
I think so. I, yeah, I think so. And then I think, you know, he's just so defensively, he's so responsible, but I, I do think there's, there's more to give for sure. I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. We, we talked about prospects a few minutes ago, so I wanted to jump back there. There are a few names we didn't, we didn't get to Arthur Kaliev is one. And then of course, Brant Clark, the eighth overall pick from last month's entry draft is another. Uh, where do you see both of those guys in their development and, and how far out do you think they are for making an impact on the Kings? Well, Kaliev is really one of those intriguing players to me because he, you know, for as long as I've been covering the Kings, at least in the most recent era, people have been saying scoring, scoring, scoring. And and he's one of those guys. He's he's just done that at every single level. But I think he's going to need, um, I wouldn't say necessarily a full season with the rain in Ontario, but I think he's going to need more time down there sort of working on his complete game because it's 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 I don't think it's quite there yet um and sort of understanding the system that Todd McClellan's going to want him to play when he gets here he had a, he had a cameo he had a one one game shot scored of course <laughs> I mean it's just like the guy the guy can can do that and they desperately need that but I think he's going to you know need quite a bit more well not a quite a bit more at least another half season of seasoning down there and just depending on what's going on with the roster I, I anticipate him being up at some point I get the other player you mentioned is, is Clark who <laughs> I'm, I'm sure not going to gush too much but boy he, he he just really impressed me with his energy and uh instead of his spirit you know and usually zoom calls are terrible like you don't get a feel for the player at all and and I I was just really really blown away by him in, in, in a very good way. Um, I was talking with the King's director of amateur scouting today, Mark Yanetti, and we're talking about where we were actually talking about what you just asked me. And um, I suspect there's a strong possibility he will be in the OHL next season. But, you know, I said, could, could you ever see that happening? And, and, you know, Mark, he didn't say yes, but he didn't say no either. Um, nobody wants to put, pressure on a kid who's so young and, and that's one thing the kings have done they haven't really rushed people's development but you know the last defenseman that that um made that jump right from the draft for for the kings was drew dowdy in in 2008 you know i mean it's just like he just came right in and, and didn't miss a step so i think it's a lot to ask of any individual to, to be able to follow in his footsteps, but I'd like to see him play a few games at the NHL level. If if he's not overwhelmed in training camp, and if it seems like he's progressing well, we we'll see see what he can do. And you know, and, and the nice thing is too that you know, let's let's hope the OHL actually plays. And, and additionally, the nice thing will be able to see him at, at the World Championships um, during the holidays. He'll he'll be a he'll be a big figure there, I suspect. And so you mentioned earlier, uh, looking at the team two, three years down the road, we've talked about Byfield and Turcotte and, and Bjornfoot came up earlier and, and Clark and Kaliev now. Kopitar only has two more years left on the deal. Dowdy as well is, is kind of hitting, I would say, his post-Norris uh, stretch of his career. What do you kind of see? What do you see when you look into the future of this team? Who do you see as kind of driving the bus, I guess, three years down the road? Well, not necessarily driving the bus in sort of a like a Kopitar level type situation, but like a, like a guy like a Mikey Anderson, I think in terms of leadership, the leadership com- component, he's he's a future captain. He he really seems to sort of have that 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 makeup and that mentality. Um, you know, like 
two or three years down the road, I mean, if Byfield keeps progressing the way he he does and he doesn't have any developmental uh, curves thrown, um, I, I think he he will be that guy. I mean, I think as Cooper winds down his career or gets near the end of it, and, and you know, Byfield will, will be going the other way. And in three years, you know, he, I could see him being you know the number one center. And I and I think that if, if that that's really the the hope. That is definitely what it seems like the the future is riding on that byfield pick hitting. And we have a, a lot of friends of the show who who said that the Rangers should have gone byfield number one. Oh, that's Obviously, interesting. Really? Too soon to wow. say, I would say, but uh it's it is they say that the ceiling is is Malkin-esque with Byfield. That it is it is too soon to say. And then I remember people were really interested in, in the athletic also in, in doing comparisons between the, the guys that want one, two, three. And, and I thought this is like, this is really 30 games into this like, crazy <laughs> season mm-hmm. that makes no sense. And, you know, the OHL is not even playing and, and, you know, I feel it just got, hadn't been in Ontario very long at all. So um, that's the thing is like, I, I guess comparisons are part of what we all do. And it's a fact of life, but it did seem like it was, a, it was a little uh, tough. And, um, you know, there's some Kings fans that always come back at me and saying, well, you know, I wish we'd taken, taken Stutzla, you know, and I'm like, well, I think these three are going to be compared to each other, you know, for the next decade or so. Oh God. I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah. Hired by then. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're, we don't, we don't need to worry about that right now though, Lisa. Um, anything else when it comes to these Kings of yours that you, that you think is worth mentioning? Any other, any other players you want to talk about and anything else pop into your head? Well, the other, the other player, I mean, like I, uh, they've got some good defensive prospects coming to the system. Like there's this, you know, there's Brock Faber who's going into his uh, second season at the university of Minnesota, who's, I, I heard great things about, I have, uh, in a perfect world, I would have gone to Minnesota because, well, A, I grew up there and I like to go back there, but B, I would have loved to have seen him play. Um, but I've heard like very, very good things about how he made the transition to college hockey. And, you know, I was talking with about him with one of my sources and I said something like, well, I guess it'll be interesting to see how he does like, you know, a couple more years of Minnesota. And then the guy said, Lisa, he's going to be with the Kings after second season. He will, mm. he will, he, he, he won't be at Minnesota. And I don't know. I don't know. He said it was such certainty. So we shall see, but um, yeah, there's Jordan Spence coming through. Uh, Helga Granz signed his entry-level contract with the Kings uh, you know, they like him a lot. So there's, there's like a, a lot of the focus goes to the forwards and rightly so, but there's some, there's some decent prospects coming through the pipeline on, on the back end. And Where so they seem to be a little thin is, is like that, that star or that, that, that goalie prospect. So I was kind of hoping that they would, you know, um, make another deal so they could get another pick in the first round to grab one of those two goalies. But unfortunately they did not. That would be very fun for your purposes. That's for sure. Um, when we talk about defense, uh, who do you see? We, we mentioned Byfield replacing Kopitar long-term. Who do you see, or is the Dowdy replacement in the pipeline, do you think? It's probably, I mean, like, again, I keep saying, I don't want to put pressure on folks and players, mm. but it's probably Clark. I mean, mm. I'm getting my sense, you know, it's probably Clark. Okay. That's worth knowing as uh, we have some dynasty drafts coming up here. So folks who are looking for, for a long-term defenseman know that yeah. that's the uh, the guy to target. And they, they can yell at me if it goes south. <laughs> I'll, I, I'm not going to offer the same sort of uh, concession. I'm gonna, I'm, don't do not at me. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. 
<laughs> Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time, especially with on the eve of your vacation. I hope you have an amazing time living that cottage life. Well, yeah, the, the lake is waning and, uh, you know, the kayaks are, are calling my name. And um, yeah, we have tennis courts nearby, so there are no complaints here. I hope it feels like uh, the longest vacation that you have. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I always enjoy chatting with you and uh, taking the time to chat. And uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Thanks, Lisa. We'll talk. Okay. Bye. Take care. All right. What an interesting interview about the LA Kings. Thank you so much to Lisa Dillman for coming on. If you want to keep up with all of Lisa's great work, definitely make sure to follow her on Twitter at Real Lisa. And you can also read all of her work on The Athletic about the Kings and, and also some ducks, actually. So she's got the California teams covered. Also, great job, Ben Burnett. Thank you so much for taking over for this interview. We've got a lot of teams to go, so Ben's definitely going to be helping us jump in to try to knock out as many of these beat writer interviews as we start to approach the NHL fantasy season, which is coming up very shortly. So it's time to get serious, everybody, and maybe one place to start is go check out those previous four episodes that Brian and I just dropped, breaking down all of the off-season trades and signings and acquisition and our thoughts on the fantasy impact of all those moves. So that, that way you can get up to date on everything going on till now and then yeah before long you're going to be getting your fantasy hockey guides probably from Dover Hockey and from other sources Dominic Sujan and you're going to be preparing for your drafts and we're going to be with you all along the way so make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson the content is about to get pumped out uh, even more frequently though maybe that's not possible this more frequently than this week but it's going to be a really fun couple months as we ramp up and get ready for the season if you want to join us in our community of our uh, especially supportive listeners why not consider joining our Patreon program at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Obviously, in our Discord server, we're starting to talk more and more about the keeper decisions that people have to make going into the season. And we are also ranking players. Also, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League is about to get started. We're going to drop an episode about that soon, letting you know how to register for that. And you'll be able to get all of your information and access to everything over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But okay, with that, let's cue the outro music. I'll go ahead and read you the credits of this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched by Ben Burnett coming up with the questions from Short Shifts. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Burnett underscore SJ. Is that San Jose? I can't San Jose. Oh, St. John. I'll bet. Okay. At Ben Burnett underscore SJ. Or, of course, the great Short Shifts account that Ben and Lewis are running at Short Shifts KK. Uh, But okay. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with another episode for you soon. And until then, just remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone.